Good morning. Welcome to Daily Confefi with Carter and Carrie. Today is Monday, June 10th. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, that just flowed so well. <laughs> my, my, my plate of breakfast is sitting here on the calendar, <laughs> so just shove it over. The fact that you have a paper calendar on your desk says enough. <laughs> of course I have a paper calendar. Yeah. <laughs> I have to write things down. Um, welcome, guys. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And if you like the show, if you have watched it before and you like it, please send it to someone because that helps us out. We're trying to get to a thousand subscribers. Um, so we are. We were thinking, Carter. I don't know what. The only thing I want to talk about this morning is that New York Times article. Yeah, me too. But I got a couple things I want to say first. Quickly. Okay. One is uh, the shirts. I got my shirts that I ordered from. Um, our shop just to check them out. The shirt quality is good. Frankly, this is not me being a great salesperson, but I'm I'm more of an honest person than a salesperson, so deal with it. Uh, the screen printing, I think it could be better. It's spread shirt and a lot of people use them and they're great, but the screen printing, eh. Uh, when, we can, uh, when we can move away from spread shirt later, we will. Um, but the, the shirt quality is good. The screen printing's okay. So there you have it. Uh, if you want to buy shirts, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> Just let's be straightforward. But well, you should totally buy a shirt. And mine's in the laundry, or I would show you the shirt. But maybe I'll show it. I'll show it tomorrow. There is one more thing I want to talk about. And look, it saddens me to say this. Uh, I, you know, we don't report the news. We do commentary, right? We do an, you know, analysis mostly on culture, not politics. So we're not a news outlet. Nevertheless, I obviously, we want to be giving you accurate information. And it's my job and Carrie's job to vet what we're, we're doing. I fucked up last week. The, so I want to apologize to everyone about this. The drag queens being banned from the Glasgow Pride Parade, that did happen. It was real. There's controversy over whether you call it a ban because they banned them from performing, not attending. But I don't feel bad about that because that's what we were talking about. Uh, it was from 2015 and I didn't notice. I didn't do, I wasn't careful enough. Sometimes stories go around Twitter and they're old and I didn't notice it was old. That was old. It was, it was a story from 2015. So I apologize for that. I will be more careful in the future. Um, fortunately, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on that. We ended up talking about the very real and current Drag Kids show. Uh, which is much more disturbing than anything that gay pride parades are doing around the world. But still, I feel bad about it. And um, one of our our listeners brought it to my attention, sent me some articles. Actually, though, interestingly enough, he ended up going down a rabbit hole and doing a little bit more research. And it turns out they the ban was revised to allow, this is so weird, it was revised at the time to allow transgender women to be drag queens, which is an oxymoron because if they're trans women, then they identify as women, which means they can't be drag queens because drag queens are men who are dressing up like women. Well, anyway. by the way, the, the controversy I, I mentioned uh, from years past is still ongoing. Um, the Dyke March... The Dyke March banned uh, this year Israeli and Jewish pride flags, but Palestinian flags are still okay. And there's right. video. There's video of them arguing where it's like 
you see the Jewish lesbians that have a rainbow flag, but with the star of David on it, and they're being told they can't carry that in the parade. Right. And right. that's happened for a couple of years now, that tension there that's, um, you right. can't have any Jewish signs in the, in the gay parade or in the dyke, in the dyke parade. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, it, nothing was wrong that we said it was just that one article that I brought up was from 2015. Um, fortunately we didn't spend a lot of time on it, but, uh, apologize. Don't want to be doing that. We'll try and I will do better in making sure that I check the, the dateline. I, I never understand why people share old articles on Twitter, but this is, I guess how it happens. People just don't notice. And then it gets, it gets reshared again. So I want to break that cycle. All right. With all of that said, this is definitely a current story because it appeared in the New York times this weekend. Carrie, you want to talk about. Oh your- Yeah. So here's my take on this. I'm going to be short and sweet. We put it up while you're saying here's your take on it? Yeah, I'm short and sweet. I'm going to try to explain my view on this. The the bannings, the perch that's happening at YouTube, we've talked about this and other people have talked about it. It's Here's what it's about. It's about legacy media versus new media. So legacy media, which if you guys haven't seen, Carter did a great video just kind of comparing the viewership of different traditional mainstream media new news outlets like CNN and comparing those to the audience of people who are considered new media who have big followings. So people like, um, a Joe Rogan or a Paul Joseph Watson and, or a Tim pool. And the new media people are wildly popular. And I, I mean, we, you could go into, you could speculate why. I mean, I personally think it's because people are hungry for truth. I mean, they're hungry for somebody to talk to them who, who, if they admits to what biases they have without it be coming from a, a news network pretending to be telling you the unvarnished truth when they're putting all their biases and their spin on it. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So for whatever reason, a lot of the new me- these new media people have been blowing away the mainstream media on on uh, platforms like YouTube for a while now. And so this is a war. This is this is the mainstream media, the legacy media, trying to take down new media. And it's an all-out assault. I, I view it as much like we're in the middle of a culture war, where this is a this is a particular part of the culture war, and there are these different battles that are happening. And so, right after YouTube comes in with their um, their new rules and their uh, retroactive purge, where they're going back and using old videos to now purge people they don't like for ideological reasons, what do we see in the New York Times? A friggin' hit piece on the front page. Uh, and this is a hit piece on people who span the political spectrum, but they're all getting lumped in as radical and alt-right. There are people in here who are not, who are not even on the right. So there's a couple people I want to point out here. They have Dave Rubin up in the upper left. Dave Rubin is a classical liberal. He's gay. He uh, used to work for the Young Turks, which is pretty SJW left. I, I consider if, if you're going to compare me to someone who is in the public eye, in terms of belief, he's been on a similar trajectory to me. Like he's someone who's sort of figured out, wait a minute, I'm a liberal. I'm not an SJW. <laughs> like I'm an actual liberal. Right. So got him. First picture him. They've got a couple different Alex Jones on here. They've got uh, Stefan Molyneux, who they focus on a lot on here a couple of times. I think mm-hmm. Lawrence Southern's on here three times. Jordan Peterson's on here twice. The, Jordan Peterson is someone who people disagree about what his beliefs are. And um, I, I think that's fine. That's interesting. Uh, obviously, sometimes your own 
perspective, like where you're at on the, on the political scale is going to influence what you think of someone else. I've always considered him center left. He's not, he's not right wing to me, Peterson. I've never considered him right wing. Um, you've got, you've got Ben Shapiro on here, pretty classic conservative. Um, well, ben Shapiro is a never Trumper. not an alt right dude. He's a pretty bland guy. Yeah, super bland, just typical conservative. Yeah. Like he's not he's not radical, he's not all right, he's not You've right. got underneath him Philip DeFranco who is that dude? I don't know a lot of That's one of the ones everybody was like, "What WTF?" You know, like he's not even political, is he? Right. That guy So they have Milton Friedman on here as like a going down the alt-right rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> You better not watch any Milton Friedman guys. Don't listen to any economics lectures. That's all right. They've got a, what's that guy's name? The red hair, the ginger cartoon. Is that Dave? I think his name is Dave Cullen. I'm not sure. Uh, They've got Milo on here. Um, A couple Gavins. They've got a Crowder. They've got a Crowder. Stephen Crowder is just, again, just a conservative. Paul Joseph Watson's on here. Yeah. Who pointed out before uh, isn't alt right or doesn't say anything that seems alt. Maybe he's on the right, but I don't. I don't know what he says. That's crazy. Um. Yeah. By the way, this reminds me. I just wanted to mention this. I watched Lauren Southern's documentary, which at first I thought got banned from YouTube, but then it seemed to be back. I'm not sure what the status is. It's called Borderless. It was. I I expected her to be like xenophobic in the document. I was like, all right, she's going to be all about, you know, oh no, the brown people are coming in. Like that's kind of, that's what I expected from Lauren Southern because uh, I don't know her well. And I, even I was like, kind of thought that was probably what she was going to be saying. The hype, right? Yeah. It was uh, very fair and balanced and it was compassionate towards the immigrants themselves. And it was a, just a really interesting documentary. So that's what I've heard about it is she actually gets in. I haven't seen it, but what I heard was that she actually gets into um, how these policies are hurting the immigrants themselves, the illegal immigrants themselves. Yeah, she did. And it was, it was, it was interesting. So Carrie, let's talk about, so that that's what this cover is. They, they cite all these people. Do you want to give an overview of what the article says for people who haven't read them and they can go read it, but just really quickly, what's the article yeah. about? So uh, one quick point before I do that, just again, imagine your your picture, like on the cover of the New York Times, you being called to the world on the cover of the New York Times, radical <laughs> or alt-right. Like this is anyone in this collage right here, I'm, I can't imagine, I, I would be, I mean, I'd be laughing at it, but I'd, it's also, it's it's a form of, in my opinion, it's a form of defamation okay so what the article is about is um this kid who i think he's 24 26 something like that um about five years ago he started watching they they started off like he's an aimless college dropout he started watching youtube videos and he got sucked into this vortex a rabbit hole of that this is what they say in the piece if you read it they just say far right it's like they never define what that means. They operate, we operate from this place now where the New York Times can call someone far right and they don't even have to define that, what they mean by that. 
Um, and so just much like the word Nazi, it's being used to in such a way that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. If you're calling Dave Rubin far right, which Mother Jones did too, by the way, explicitly called Dave Rubin far right, you, you've lost your marbles. Like you're standing on such a weird perspective. You're, you're so far along on the left that if you're looking, you're, it's based on where you're at if you're calling him far right. So anyway, it's about how he went down this far right rabbit hole and he watched a lot of videos by like Stefan Molyneux and he watched videos by Lauren Southern and uh, he, he was taught, he was brainwashed. Yeah, he uses, he uses that term, right? Yeah. And, and the thing you're quoting here, right? So you read it, you read that part. Okay, so here, I'll put the screen up. So the description is, the far-right YouTube personalities convinced him that Western... So here are the things they would convince him of. One, Western civilization was under threat from Muslim immigrants and cultural Marxists. True. Two, innate IQ differences explained racial disparities. Mm, I doubt that's what they convinced him of. As far as I know, the people that, they, that even talk about race and IQ don't say it explains all disparities. I think they say it could be a factor. And what they say is that racism doesn't explain all disparities. What they say is that there have been race and IQ studies and that we need to look into that further. Maybe some of them say they, that explains all the differences. And, and the last thing that they say, number three, feminism is a dangerous ideology. So can I just point something out really quickly just about this paragraph? Yeah. First of all, one of those things is, is patently true. The others, I mean, feminism is a dangerous ideology. Well, that's an opinion. I would, I, it probably depends on what feminism you're talking about. Certainly third wave feminism, a lot of people would think is a dangerous ideology. Maybe uh, original feminism uh, isn't where you're like, hey, women should be treated equally, but that's not what feminism is anymore. So that's just, that's an opinion that's not crazy. It's and, not a radical opinion to hold that. Right. And the IQ differences explain racial disparities. Uh, okay, maybe that's a radical opinion, but there's, that's just based on some, some facts that people cite. And if the New York Times wants to debunk that one or any of them, they need to then say why these things aren't true. But what they do is they say, he was convinced of X, Y, and Z. But then they never explain why X, Y, and Z are patently stupid to believe and conspiratorial or and dangerous. Wrong. Yeah. They never say something like, you know, they convinced he, you know, he was convinced that Western civilization was under attack by cultural Marxists. But that's not true because we've looked at, we've done surveys of universities and there are no Marxist professors and none of us are Marxists. We're all free market capitalists and there are, there's no Marxist presence in the US or in the, like, that's obviously they can't say that because none of those things are true. But there's, there's no, there's not even an attempt to, to like, debunk any of this. They just say it as if saying it is by itself uh, enough, that just saying that it's ridiculous or even implying that it's ridiculous is enough to convince you, that that should be enough to convince you. You know, and you know what? Um, yeah, it's, they, they say these things as if we all agree, that we all agree on what far right means and we all agree that all these people in the picture are far right and that we agree that these things are radical and crazy far right beliefs and that they're insane, like you're saying. All of this is projection. All of it's projection because you know what is a radical belief? 
the crap that these people believe, <laughs> like, like you could say, oh, wow, he fell down a rabbit hole in college and he, and he became brainwashed and he, he became convinced that everyone is implicitly biased and racist and that it's impossible to be um, sexist towards men and that masculinity is toxic. And that, you know, like you could put in all of their crazy radical BS that is now they're trying to mainstream. And, and those are actual radical beliefs, but we're living in an upside down world where those things are supposed to be just a given that all those things are true. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I wanted to just pause and, and on that thing that you brought up, you can continue if you want to describe more okay. about. So he, first of all, he says he started listening to this stuff. Um, he didn't, he was a liberal, so he didn't think that he, at first he didn't like these people, but he got brainwashed and sucked in and he was, he was watching 2000 hours of YouTube a year, which it's a lot anyway, by the way, guy, you should get out some more. Um, I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube, but still that's a lot. <laughs> and, um, he, uh, uh, he, he never really, oh, okay. So then he says, then he says he starts watching some of the actual, um, actual white nationalist stuff, which I'm not as familiar with those users and I haven't taken the time to go check them out. So I don't, I don't trust anything the mainstream media says anymore. So I don't know if those, those people are actually white nationalists, which, which are the, I'm looking real quick for the accounts he says he was reading. I, he kind of implies that Molyneux is a white nationalist. Okay, well that's BS. Molyneux, I've I've watched enough Molyneux. I mean he he's not one of my favorites. I think he's kind of boring. I know you like him a lot. He's not, but he's not a white nationalist. I've seen enough of him to know he's not a white nationalist. Right, and then and then he has Jared Taylor. Okay, know. Jared Taylor. That name is familiar. I think he is an explicit self-avowed white nationalist. Don't quote me, but that. Sounds familiar. Uh, right. Maybe Richard Spencer, David Duke, those people are known. Okay, yeah. So, known. so he right. starts looking at some acts. So he starts looking at some white supremacist material, well, well, right? Actually, can we be clear? Yeah. What, what is claimed is that he watched videos where, um, so one of them is run by Jared Taylor, which this piece says is the editor of the white nationalist magazine American Renaissance. I don't know about that magazine, so that may or may not be true. Um, but it's other others posted clips of interviews it's clips of interviews with richard spencer and david duke now you don't have to be a white national nationalist to use a clip from an interview and say because you might use a clip for an interview to criticize clips is also kind of a weak thing to say like well he watched videos that had clips of these people like maybe they were white nationalist videos i don't know but I would imagine that the New York Times, someone who writes this kind of piece, they are going to say whatever they can get away with. And so if if they could get away with saying something worse, they would. So the best they can say is there's clips of interviews. Clips of interviews. So three points here about this paragraph. That's a great one. I think that also it's, look, quote, these people... So it says he's moved on to something more darker and radical over now, right? These right. people didn't couch their racist and anti-Semitic views in sarcastic memes, and they didn't speak in dog whistles. So stop there. That sentence, that right. with that one sentence, he's indicting every other YouTuber he's mentioned so far. He's indicting everyone that's in that little 
uh, image at the, you know, the, the picture of all these crazy radical YouTubers at the top, he's basically saying all of those people he's mentioned, whether he's talking about um, Molyneux or Dave Rubin or whoever's in that picture graphic, that those people are couching racist and anti-Semitic views in their sarcastic memes and that they're speaking in dog whistles. That's a load of crap. And right. that he's now painted them all right. as apologists for white nationalism. At the very least, yeah. Right. With the fact that the New York Times can write a sentence like that and not have to back it up, he is accusing all of those people of couching racism and anti-Semitism in sarcastic memes and speaking in dog whistles. This is, so I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. You can say that about anyone and, it, and you don't have to prove it. Like, you're basically saying that um, when you accuse someone of dog whistling, you're basically saying that what they actually say and what they actually, the beliefs they actually espouse and the ideas that they actually put forward are not their real ideas. And that's not what they actually believe and that there's some secret stuff that they believe that they're not telling you that you have to hear a secret dog whistle to hear. That's not fair. It is a, and it's a lie and you can't, you can't accuse someone of something they haven't said and say that they hold those beliefs because you magically know that what they really mean is a, some dog whistle that you can hear that supposedly other people, if you're hearing a dog whistle, perhaps you're the dog. So he says, these people didn't couch their racist and anti-Semitic views and sarcastic memes, and they didn't speak in dog whistles like everyone else I've mentioned so far that he's so he's accusing all of them. Um, then he moves on to say he, he watched a channel by Jared Taylor, um, like you said, he watched people who posted clips of white nationalists and white supremacists like Richard Spencer and David Duke, but, and then move on to the next paragraph. He never bought into any of that. He never bought into these extreme views like Holocaust denial or the need for a white ethno state. Well, isn't that amazing? He didn't become a radical. Your entire premise. In fact, the title of your article is wrong. He did not become a radical. He never bought into this. Spoiler alert. Your whole title is a lie. So he never bought into any of that. What did he do? Oh, he became a traditional conservative for a while. He committed to old-fashioned gender norms and started dating an evangelical Christian. <gasps> the horror! The horror of dating an evangelical Christian. What a crazy radical, right? Uh, he fought with his... That's my, by the way, that's my, my favorite part is that they say, like, he dated an evangelical Christian woman and he fought with his liberal friends as if that's like this horrible thing and carrie you were about to read the next line so i won't steal it from you yeah. next yeah. line is so uh it, it's so revealing about how the new york times thinks of christian women and fighting with liberals go ahead carrie yeah so uh he, he never became a radical he didn't buy into any of the white ethno state stuff or holocaust denial from these hardcore people he, he like actual white nationalists he started watching didn't buy into it became a traditional conservative started dating evangelical christian and fighting with liberal friends that's super radical right his friend zelda Waite says a friend from high school says it was quote it was kind of sad i was just like wow what happened how did you get this way like totally how did you totally get this way <laughs> why did you start dating a christian oh my god <laughs> You started, he started like, arguing with his little friends. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to like church. <laughs> it's just, just so funny to me. By the way, by the way, 
I mean, technically, technically, I, I mean, I'm a Christian now, and I go to an evangelical church currently. Technically, I'm an evangelical Christian. <laughs> right. And you've been fighting with your liberal friends. So. And I've been fighting with my, my Although you would argue friends. they're not liberal. I would argue they're SJWs, but um, so by talking with me, I guess you've, you've become a radical. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Actually, um, you should call anyone you're about to date. You should have a full disclosure. Uh, look, this might make you, dating me might make you an alt-right extremist. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I, just, <laughs> I was like, you know my picture. have you seen, um, wait, wait, have you seen Parker Posey in, uh, crap, waiting for Guffman? Yes. <laughs> That's who I picture Zelda Waite as. I don't know. I like chewing her gum. It's kind of sad. There's always the DQ. <laughs> <laughs> There's always the DQ. <sighs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, Carrie. Um, that's just the funniest freaking thing. We look. Okay, so the rest of the article then is how he, um, he just switched. He started watching some SJW creators on YouTube, and replacing what he was watching with SJWs and. Yay, he's out of this vortex of hatred he used to be in. And although, again, never sub actually subscribed to any of those radical views, but he stopped listening to people who were questioning SJWs. Yay, he no longer listens to those people. He listens exclusively, it seems, to SJW creators now. And in fact, he's become someone who's posting videos talking about how he, he, how he escaped this vortex of hate with the alt-right. And... um. Uh, the whole thing, I think his span of time dipping into the so-called radical right and dipping back out was like a period of five years or less. And he, so he, he, I, just, just the, 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 the lack of depth to this story <laughs> and the like, lack of truth. Yeah. And they put it on the front page of the New York times. Yes. I, I would like to talk to his evangelical Christian ex-girlfriend sometime. If you, if no one, if someone can get to her, I would love to have a conversation with her. So can, let's, I would just want to step back here for a second, Carrie. This is the narrative. I and mean, if people are not familiar with this narrative, this narrative has been um, lent legitimacy through uh, nonprofits that study media, right, which are, you know, they're all a bunch of leftist SJWs who've been studying YouTube and media. You've seen articles about this before. The narrative is basically that YouTube is inherently a dangerous place ideolo ideologically because you, because you do get sucked into this rabbit hole of alt-right extremism. That's the narrative. And it's, the narrative is there because I think for two reasons. One, they need to paint YouTube in this way so that they can put pressure on YouTube to change their behavior. So there, so YouTube, just to be clear, YouTube was just, algorithms were, were idea agnostic, right? And they were creator agnostic to, to many, in, in, in many ways. It was just meritocracy. It was based on popularity and based on what you've been watching and blah, blah, blah. So, and, and actually I think it was this article or maybe another one where they talked about uh, the AI that, that YouTube uses. I think it was this article. And what they need to do is they need to, they need to paint this as a problem, like the, the underlying tech is a problem. And why does the mainstream media need to do that? Well, because the only way to solve that problem is curation. You need humans, humans to curate. 
and they want to put pressure on YouTube to curate so that YouTube ceases to become an open platform for anyone to have their say, but becomes a distribution arm for the existing mainstream media, and they want, they want to step in and be the curators of YouTube because it, it solidifies job security for them. Um, and the other thing that they want to do is they want to paint this picture that YouTube is dangerous because they're trying to gain credibility themselves. Well, we're not dangerous. We won't bring you down this rabbit hole, but YouTube is very, it's a dangerous, toxic place to be. So you want to keep your kids away from it. You want to stay away from YouTube. It's this dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place. And that's the narrative. And that narrative is, has, is unchanged. But let's just step back from a, let's be a little bit more objective about this story. And let's step back and let's think about what's actually happened. A guy started watching some YouTube videos that he disagreed with. He found them compelling. He watched more and more YouTube videos that, had, that challenged social justice beliefs. He eventually reached a point through recommendations and whatever where he was introduced with videos with which he disagreed which they sound like bad videos. They sound like white nationalist videos. So he said, okay, this is too far. So all this stuff up to here, that makes sense. This is too far. But then he continued watching other videos and eventually decided that the leftists on YouTube were more compelling. And so he started to veer back and now he is a social justice YouTube creator. How that is a story of getting sucked down a <laughs> alt-right rabbit hole is beyond me. That's the story of a flyby alt-right veering towards social justice. He like, he did a quick pass, saw some white nationalist accounts that he didn't really like and veered left. That's his story. The story arc is, I watched some stuff that was compelling, saw some other stuff that was crazy and then decided to be a leftist. How that deserves an entire front page New York Times article about there's an alt-right rabbit hole that's dangerous this entire story undermines itself. It wasn't dangerous. He didn't end up there. He didn't, he didn't go join the KKK and like yeah. <laughs> buddies with Richard Spencer. And he, he, didn't, he didn't even become mildly center right. <laughs> he ended you know up leftist. He, be, he did become a radical New York yeah, Times. He became a he radical became leftist. Yeah, radical. He became an alt -le a radical alt leftist. How about how about put some radical alt leftists up there in your in your image graphic at the top? Yeah. <laughs> so this is this whole story. Oh, by the way, Gad Sad is in here. I was like, <laughs> some of the people they have. <laughs> All right. Ah. Um, yeah. Well, so two two points that they make that are refuted in the article. Yeah, that uh, that the algorithm dooms you to radicalism that you're some that we're the helpless people who get sucked into this vortex and we easily brain brainwashed because we can't watch videos and make opinions on our own you know right. come up with our own opinions so so he just got uh the algorithm dooms you because it's going to show you more and more extreme content well it didn't do that it didn't do that because the algorithm showed him sjw's and he started right. watching sjw's so your whole point is wrong and then the second point, like you said, the big overarching point, which is that he became this alt-right radical. He didn't. He's an alt-right leftist. And he didn't even hit, he didn't even touch alt-right radicalism on the way to alt-left radicalism. He, no. he drove it by it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, all right, 
You know, and, you know, Molyneux is an interesting character. Um, I haven't watched him in a while, and I know people say he's veered farther right than he used to be, which may be the case. But Molyneux had people like Noam Chomsky on. Like, Molyneux will have anyone who he thinks is, has got some information and is an expert relevant to some topics he's interested in. And so, um, the, one of the argue, one of the claims here is that I guess Molyneux had someone from the American Renaissance Center on. Maybe he did. Sure, I, I believe that, but it doesn't mean Molyneux endorses everything that that person says. Of course, it doesn't. Why are we living in that world? Right. So, you know, my again, my former client on CNN, uh, Debbie Kamal Bell, had the KKK on. He had Richard Spencer on an episode. Does that mean he endorses Richard Spencer? Of course not. But they don't apply, they only apply, they apply these rules selectively. So they want to make it so that you can't talk to anyone. It's, it's this whole thing of uh, degrees of, of, of uh, um, radioactive, like they try to make people radioactive. And then if you've ever done and like interviewed that person or anything, then you're radioactive. And then anyone who's ever talked to you is radioactive. And, they, and it's this whole um, BS uh guilt by association or not even association you don't have to associate with the person do you know what i mean like it's it's yeah. crazy they don't do it they don't apply it to the left at all this is just part of their overall narrative to um they're grasping to maintain power as a as an entity new york times yeah totally the Can we whole, talk about that for a sec or well, do you yeah. have about this in particular before i do well the purpose of this article you have to ask yourself what's the purpose of this article they're telling you things that are not true in this article they're telling you that um people are helpless uh to the algorithm at youtube they're going to fall into a vortex of alt-right hate and not be able to pull themselves out of it and they're going to become crazy white nationalist radicals um because of because of people like Philip DeFranco or whatever. So they, they're, what's the purpose in telling you this? Which is not true, by the way, as illustrated in the article. Obviously, but, their example isn't true. Yeah, the whole example they give this guy is not true. But what do they want you to do with this information? They want you to be okay with them censoring people like the ones listed in this article. A, they want you to be okay with them purging people like that. And B, they want you to be okay with what Carter, with what you talked about, with them curating. They want you to be okay with them telling you what you should listen to and what you should watch. And they want you to be okay with them changing the algorithm so that you don't see what's popular and you don't see content that might, you might actually enjoy or that might, um, you know, spark your own, you know, ideas. They want you to be force fed right. the mainstream media clips. YouTube already said in this latest purge, these new rules, they just said that they're going to be promoting quote authoritative content. What does that mean? That means they're going to start pushing CNN into your feed. That means the New York Times, basically. The New York Times. They're going to start pushing the friggin' New York Times into your feed. And they yep. want you to be cool with that and to think that it's being done for your protection. Right. So here's the thing that's, uh, and I think this is, this is the heart of the culture war, by the way. The mainstream versus legacy, there's a legacy versus new media. That's the, this, that's the battlefield where the culture war is being fought. And it's probably the most important battle. Um, if you think about, let's just, I know a lot of people know this. I just want an overview of what's, what's gone on here. Traditionally, being in the media required a lot of money and infrastructure. You had to have printing presses or television studios and, you know, vans with satellite connections and you, like, 
it was a capital intensive project and it lent itself to being consolidated in a few organizations because you know, how many billion dollar news companies can you have? The economy can't support that many, right? So it lent itself to being, uh, having power solidified. And when I'm saying power, I'm using it loosely. I'm meaning like informational power solidified in a few entities because getting that information to you and having reporters and hiring people to do analysis and, and hiring people on the ground to get information and editing that and filming it and all that stuff, all distributing it, all that cost printing it, all that costs money, costs a lot of money. And so you needed an infrastructure to run this and it was unrealistic for one guy like Tim pool, for example, to, to compete with that in any way, there's no way in the past. And so what you did is you ended up with these organizations and these entities, which, you know, obviously they, they, they needed to add dollars. They also charged sometimes for like papers used to charge. I guess they still do probably. Um, and it, but what, what it did was it ended up putting the editors, right? And the people in control, it put them in control of what to report, what not to report, how to report it, what narratives were legitimate and what narratives weren't, right? And so the legacy media has been in charge of the narrative that we've all accepted for over a hundred years. This is the way it has been. They go to journalism school, they, and they learn, you know, they don't teach in journalism school how to manipulate people explicitly, but they go to journalism school and they get indoctrinated into the, the same kind of leftist ideology that's been, that's bled out of philosophy departments and universities for, for decades and decades and decades. They, they end up all working in a newsroom together where what are newsrooms, something like 90% Democrat or whatever it is. So ridiculous percentage of all the same ideology. And they've been controlling what we think is true. The classic example, I mean, there's a couple of classic examples, but one of them is the weapons of mass destruction stuff with the Iraq war right? All of these major media, outlet, media outlets took at face value what the government was saying about weapons of mass destruction and justified war, right? And that was, a, that was just false. And so this is, that kind of thing happens a lot. And there's probably a lot of that we'll, we'll never know because it wasn't elevated to the point of ever being uncovered because it wasn't relevant to enough people. And what's happened clearly, I mean, no one needs to be told this, but Everything's gotten cheaper. And so now Tim Pool can, can compete with them. And he's got a way to distribute all this content. And so that's done two things. One is it's destroyed their economic model, right? And so they are, as business-wise, they're collapsing. And they're having a lot of hard, they're having a hard time. They're struggling to keep doing things the way they've been doing because they, it costs them a lot more to produce video than it does Tim Pool, right? Yeah. The other thing that it's done is they are losing editorial power. They are the kingmakers. They've always been the kingmakers. They've been setting the narrative. And the mainstream media is having, they are, the mainstream media is apoplectic because they are losing the power that they've had for decades. And they don't know what to do. And so what they're doing is they're just pushing these narratives out and they're trying to cram them down your throat. 
look at how much the New York Times wants you to believe this, right? So one of the biggest takeaways from this story isn't the story itself. It's how much the New York Times wants you to believe this narrative. That indicates to you how important it is for them that you believe this. It's so important that the best example they could find of some guy down an alt-right rabbit hole was some guy who never went down an alt-right rabbit hole and is on the left and is a social justice warrior now. They, they took this entire piece, which is not really news. It's more of an opinion piece, although maybe they count it as news. They stuck it on the front page. This is a weak, weak-ass story with a lot of slander or libel because it's written. A lot of libel, a lot of innuendo, a lot of narrative pushing without facts. And they put it on their front page. They're pushing it out. They care desperately that you believe this. And just the fact that they want you to believe it so hard is a red flag that you may want to question whether you should believe it or not. They really, really want you to believe this. So this, the, we are in the, legacy media is in its death throes and this is what that looks like. So I, I, I think something you're saying there about um, journalism school and the people who are writing stuff like this is very interesting. Um, they are being indoctrinated, like you said, with the same ideology that I was indoctrinated with. So it's the same, it's, it is uh, a form of identitarian Marxism. It's what I call SJW ideology. It's not liberalism. It's not, they blend it all up with liberalism to sell it. And they tell you it's progressivism and liberalism, but it's not. Um, someone like this, you know, a much better story would be, what did they call this? The making of a YouTube radical. They should call it the making of a mainstream news radical or the making of a legacy media radical. Right. Because the, this, who wrote this? This guy, Kevin Roos. Okay, yeah. Kevin Roos, I just did a quick search. Um, he's known for writing. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote a book that was bashing evangelical Christianity. He spent a, a semester at Liberty University so he could write a book critical of evangelical Christianity, which I haven't read. I'm just reading his bio. Um, he was raised in a secular and liberal environment. He wanted to better understand conservative Christian culture. I'm sure, actually, that book probably is very interesting. I'm, I would like to read it. Um, but then, get this, he was president of, he worked as news director, news director, sorry, not president, news director at Fusion. Fusion, again, this is a legacy media, corporate media outlet. Um, they're owned by Univision. Fusion, I have personal history with, uh, one of my old clients, we were, we, we almost did a show with them. Um, another client did a, produce some web content for them. I remember taking a meeting with Fusion. If you have, if you're under any illusion that that's not an SJW network, like, just let me dispel that for you. <laughs> the, this meeting we had, I have a picture of this somewhere. I need to find it. They had a whiteboard up and this is for a TV meeting. We go in and on the whiteboard, I, I took a photo of it because I was so excited because I was an SJW at the time. I was like, oh, wow, this looks like a college whiteboard. Because on the whiteboard, it was like implicit bias, you know, racial injustice, um, toxic masculinity. They had basically a list of all this SJW crap that they wanted to cover in their entertainment this year. And I was, I being a little happy little zombie at the time, 
was inspired by that and took a photo of it. That was fusion for you. That's what I know about fusion. Um, this guy was the news news director there. And so now he's writing for the New York times, New York times, which this past year hired, uh, an open racist Sarah Zhang to work for them open openly on Twitter, the most racist vile stuff that you could imagine, but because it's about white people, that's fine. Any other race would never have been hired with that kind of, that kind of um, public open vitriol. You know, they want to talk about dog whistles all the time and try to accuse people of stuff they don't believe and haven't said. When they outright say things, she outright says, there's no dog whistle there. She hates white people. She's said it, you know. That's not a dog whistle. That's not some, I imagine you have meaning and intent that only I can hear because it's a magical whistle. No, she's telling you what she believes and the New York Times says, that's okay. You can have racist beliefs towards white people and you can express them and we're gonna give you a job at the New York Times. Um, so I just, these people who are trying to tell us um, that, that these other people, that new media have radical, uh, beliefs that don't belong in you know polite society and that we need to be cool with censorship because of that um, The very people telling us that are radicals Like these people are alt-left radicals and they yep. work for mainstream media And so you think they're we're supposed to think that this is uh, That this is normal that their beliefs are normal and that what they tell us is normal and this pisses me off and I'm not a conservative I'm not alt-right. I'm not right-wing I'm not a white nationalist. I'm not. Uh, I'm not even on the right. I'm center left. I'm. I'm a classic classical liberal. Um, I'm a social liberal on a lot of issues. So I, and but this infuriates me because this isn't just ideological in terms of it's it's the old way of thinking right and left is so messed up. Like that doesn't really apply anymore. You they want us to think it applies. Yeah. Yeah, they want us to think it applies, but it doesn't. It's not about right and left. It's about um, it's about supporting stuff. It's about supporting power, like supporting this authoritarian belief system or not. And so you and I are just as guilty as any of these other wrong thinkers that they're trying to round up because we don't support the narrative that they want us to support. And so if 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 we had if we had a huge viewership, we could easily be on here targeted by them. And, and oh, absolutely, if we were big at the time, yeah, we would be on here. Yeah, yeah, we we would be called radical. Our our show would be called, according to them, and and whatever loose definition they have of alt right radical, they would lump us in with this stuff too. Like they have, they would, yeah, because supporting free speech makes you uh, alt right. So and that's my rant. <laughs> no, it's a great rant, Carrie. I I agree, and um, you know. I guess we should wrap up because it's been, we, you know, we've gone for a while. Okay. But I will say this. The most disturbing thing about this entire thing for me wasn't, wasn't really this article because this I expect from the New York Times. And you should too. You should have no respect for the objectivity of any of these legacy media outlets. The most disturbing thing to me was that Tim Pool apparently had a New York Times subscription and this caused him to cancel it. <laughs> there is no reason to have a New York Times subscription. Uh, and let me explain why, let me explain what I do. And I don't think they can stop this very easily. So we all use different browsers, right? There's Safari, there's Chrome, there's Brave, there's Opera. I have a browser that's just for sites like New York Times and Washington Post. 
because you get a certain number of free articles a month. And I look at their sites in that browser only. And when I run out, I just reset the cache. I, I blow away the cache on the browser completely because I don't need anything that's there. I don't need the history. I don't need the cache. I don't need anything. And guess what it does? It resets my counter. So you can read all the New York Times and Washington Post if you want to comment and read on it. Just don't pay them. Don't pay them. You should not be paying these people. Don't pay I don't, that's cheating. I know I'm telling people how to cheat, but fuck these people. There's no, there's no law against resetting your browser cache. So. I have that, no, I, it's funny how much I used to respect places like this because I had, um, wow, what's the word for it? It's like the, uh, the blue church or something. I had, I had, I, I revered a place like the New York times. I gave it some type of, um, special status, like a, like a cathedral of, unbiased unvarnished truth i can't believe i used to think of it like that and right. maybe it's gotten worse i can't tell if it's gotten worse and it because i didn't used to pay attention the way i do now so maybe it's always been this bad and i just didn't know um but we i can't never know carrie because hmm? we may never know we might not ever know 50 years ago what like because we don't know the truth because there's no there's no counter narrative and and other facts like we may never know what the new york times was like i mean we do know that walter duranty got a uh, pulitzer prize for uh spreading soviet propaganda through the new york times so that's uh, true we we do know that they are lying sacks of shit that have been supporting marxism for quite some time but we may never know the extent of it and whether they've gotten worse or better because it's the light is just now being turned on in many ways right so we don't know we don't know how dirty it was before. We can only see how dirty it is now. You know, it's funny when a publication has to launch a multi-million dollar advertising campaign to tell you that they're telling you the truth. You, have you guys seen the New York Times has a campaign they started in 2017 after Trump was elected called The Truth. And they have these commercials where they're like, we're telling you the truth. And I was in the movie theater that shows commercials ahead and, and they showed that commercial. That was the first time I had ever seen it. And I'm in liberal Austin or blue Austin or SJW Austin, who knows. Um, but uh, a couple people started clapping. I just burst out laughing. <laughs> like I just couldn't help it. Cause it was, it was so over the top. Like we're selling you the truth. Like it just, it, it struck me as so funny that they yeah. would spend all this money to try and tell me that like, um, you know, you're, you're, Anyone who has to spend that much money to tell you that, like, hey, we're the purveyors of truth, like something's wrong, something's really wrong. Yeah. I think it's, it's very likely that Gen Z is not paying attention to the New York Times. It's very likely that, that, that all these legacy media outlets are not being followed by Gen Z, that their population is aging. We already know, I, th I think we know that about CNN. We can look up some stats, maybe do another show on this another time, but these these legacy media outlets aren't capturing the young uh, the young audience, which means they are being supported by older people. And this is a message to anyone who's older. Your nostalgia for legacy media is killing the country. Break it off. You're you're even if you're remembering correctly, and these used to be bastions of truth which I don't believe was ever the case.
But even if that was the case and they used to be bastions of truth, they are not anymore. They're not. They are pushing narratives. They are freaking out and they're getting to be, I think they're getting to be less and less truthful and more as they get more and more desperate as the younger audience turns away from them and towards YouTube channels and people like Tim Pool. And if you're supporting them through your ad dollars or through your subscription fees, you're the problem. You don't need to support them. They are, they need to die as soon as possible. The quicker these large legacy media companies die, the better for all of us. I don't know what the new media will look like, but we need to all figure it out. And it's going to be a lot, I think it's going to be a lot more decentralized. It's going to be a lot more, um, frankly, at the beginning, it'll be a lot more chaotic. It'll be a lot more free market. There'll be a lot more competition between people. There'll be smaller voices. I think you're likely to see the rise of certain experts on certain topics, like people that are really focused on one particular thing and that's all they cover and they build their reputation that way. Which is great. Which is, yeah, which is great. You'll probably see some aggregators as well, but I'm not saying I know what it's going to look like, but we need to get the middlemen out. We need to get the, the tastemakers out. These old behemoth dinosaur tastemakers who've been telling us who to vote for and what to think and telling us what the narrative is for years, they need to be gone. And they're dying. Just like, pull the plug. You've got them on Starve live them Like, Starve them. This ties in with what we talk about with supporting content creators that you like. Like, take your dollars that you would be sending to legacy media subscriptions and find, um, find some new media people that you like and give them the support instead because it goes a lot further with them. It means a lot more. Um, a dollar spent with someone like us uh, or someone like even someone who's got a lot of subscribers, a dollar spent with someone like Ruben, it still goes a lot long, a lot further than it would with, um, with the mainstream media, the legacy media. So it means more. Yeah, the amount, the, what, what these smaller people can do with, with the money that this legacy media has it would blow you away, right? I think in that, in that presentation that I did earlier, Carrie, that you mentioned, I've got a comparison of how much like companies like CNN or Fox News spend on their newsroom compared to people like Tim Pool, and for, for less influence, <laughs> right? It's, it's pretty amazing, so. All right, well, on that note, uh, I guess we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Happy Monday, guys. Happy Monday.